Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in talent development. My guest today is Dr. Angela Stopper, who is the Chief Learning Officer at UC Berkeley, where she leads the team that creates and delivers campus-wide workforce education programs, career and professional development initiatives, and organization development and change management consulting services for the campus and beyond. She is an author, researcher, and global thought leader in areas of learning and organizational development and strategic workforce planning. And Angela has a deep passion for coaching and advising executives and leaders from around the world as they explore ways to ensure that their organization and their workforce is future ready. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andy. It's such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here as well. You know, we've chatted a couple times and I was just really impressed with all the work that you've been doing at UC Berkeley. And most of our guests come from the corporate world. It's not often I get to speak with people in higher education, but you know, a lot of people in higher education are like in higher education. You're sort of like running the people operations side of one of the largest, most prestigious universities in the country. And so I'm excited to dig into the work that you're doing there. But before we do that, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your background and and how did you get into this work to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much. You know, I, I probably came into learning and development the way a lot of us do. I was in getting an undergrad in marketing and international business at the Pennsylvania State University and had a professor there who, for whatever reason, took an interest in me and, and was really a, a great champion and a mentor. And he was working with the Penn State Executive Education Group and said, hey, we have this client. We're doing this thing called executive education. Would you like to come and program manage for us. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And I had no idea that that was even a a job, you know, but I'm like, sure. Went and worked for some amazing people and mentors at Penn State Executive Programs and learned that you could turn learning into a career. You could take your passion for developing people and, and make money doing it, which was, you know, pretty cool. And so I was at executive education for a number of years, again, had another mentor who said, you should really, you know, maybe think about getting a master's or PhD in this. You seem to to enjoy it and you seem to be making an impact. And so I did. I went and got a PhD. And while I was getting my PhD, while I was still working full time, you know, worked with some global strategy work. I started doing workshops and consulting with Penn State's outreach and online education team all around the world. Then after grad school was recruited out into the UC system. And, you know, a couple steps later, I was making that decision about where's my career going? What am I doing? What am I? And I really kind of found that passion for being a chief learning officer at that point, but started having this conversation in my head around, well, do I have to leave higher education in order to find that job? Mm. I have such a passion for what we do in the big research land grant institutions Truly, Penn State made me what I am, and I have such a passion for that. It hurt my heart a little bit to think that I would leave and and go to corporate, which is an amazing place to be as well. Nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with corporate. And then I saw this job posting for a chief learning officer at UC Berkeley, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I didn't know they had chief learning officers at universities. 
and applied for the job, had an amazingly visionary CHRO and continue to work for just amazingly visionary chief people and culture officers doing incredible work around workforce planning and strategy. And here I am. So this will be my sixth year, I guess, at Berkeley. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so still in higher education, but you're sort of on a different side of it, right? Because you were involved in executive education before, which actually was working with corporate clients, I, I would assume, right? And right. now you're focused almost exclusively internally on the people at the university. Exactly. I, I took that 20 years of experience of creating learning and development and organization development opportunities for some of the best companies in the world, and now take all that and focus it inward for the staff and the faculty at Berkeley and manage the team that that does that work. Yeah. I'm curious, as you look back at you know 20 years of working with different companies in exec ed, what are some key things that you learned over the years or maybe best practices or things you learned about what great leadership looks like or great development looks like for organizations? Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's a great question. So I, I worked with companies like ExxonMobil, Aramark, the Department of Defense. One of my favorite clients was the United States Marine Corps and the Department of Defense. Hmm. And what I saw in all of those organizations that are very different United States Marine Corps versus ExxonMobil, you would think, oh my goodness, they're so different. There's nothing that could be similar. They are way more similar than they are different. And I think it's because people are fairly similar. We all want the same things. We want to make enough money to be secure. We want to have love and, and companionship. We want to be able to take care of the people that we love. And we bring that person to work. And I think some of the best leaders that I've ever worked for understand that. And they know that it it's obviously about the bottom line. It's about revenue generation. It's all those things. And the way you get to that as an organization is by taking care of your people. And if you can not only talk about taking care of your people, but if you can actually model that and do that and build safe spaces where people can be as authentic as they want to be at work and where they can have trusting relationships with their manager and they know that there's people there to support them and champion them and they feel safe using their voice and they feel safe bringing up challenges and issues. If you can build that kind of a safe space structure, doesn't matter what industry you work in, you're going to have a successful company. Yeah. And it's all about, like you mentioned, people are people. It's going to differ across some industries and types of people and the work they're doing, but people are people and they want a great experience. They want to know their work is valued. They want to know that they're able to grow in their careers. And that's going to be pretty consistent across different organizations, different industries, whatever it may be. So how did you take when you you took that experience moving into the job at UC Berkeley and if I remember right, you you had some challenges and some changes that you needed to make or planned on making. So as you went into that, you know, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your general philosophy on talent development and employee experience and what you've been doing with that at UC Berkeley. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the first things that I had to do, which I I'm sure a lot of chief learning officers have to do. Mm-hmm. is we have to start looking at our organization, so our learning and development shop, whatever we call it, just like outside learning and development consultants look at their their product. And so my team did very little marketing. They didn't have slogans. They didn't have that kind of who we are, what we do, why you want to partner with us. They had some training and development programs that that fell into a couple of different categories, but they weren't truly functioning as a fully utilized one-stop shop 
for learning and development and organization development and consulting. And so I had to work with them and they had to work with me in taking that kind of 20 years of this is what a revenue generating shop that sells product to the outside world does. And so let's take a look at what we're doing here at Berkeley and make sure that we are building products that we can sell to our clients here at Berkeley. And so there was a lot of work that we had to do about building the team and building the portfolio and making sure that we were fully actualizing and utilizing everything that we could so that the leaders and the staff at Berkeley could come to us for that thought partnership, for those development opportunities, and really partner, and we would be a good partner for them and a champion for them to help them get to where they wanted to go. So I think that was a a really big switch for, for my team. And I assume a lot of kind of internal learning and development shops might have that same challenge where they're seen more as order takers versus strategic thought partners. Mm. And I wanted to make sure that we were just as complete as, you know, some of the best firms or consultants that the university was already partnering with to do some of that workforce strategy and learning and development work. Yeah, that's that's such an important point. It's something I've seen come up again and again in the best uh, talent development professionals take more of a consultative approach to learning and try to become more of a business partner than and get away from being an order taker, as you mentioned. Can you share as you went in with that mindset and that approach, what are some tactical things that you and your team did to take more of that consultative approach and, and be seen more as a business partner? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the very first thing we had to do was kind of assess, assess our portfolio and see where we had gaps. You know, I said, we need to be creating programming that can help every individual on our campus, all 9,000 plus people find some way to develop. And so we had to assess what we were doing. We were doing a lot of management development, but we weren't doing a lot. And we were doing tech and systems training. And we were, of course, doing compliance training, but we weren't doing a whole lot else. And so there's a lot of gaps there around our individual contributors, around our kind of more junior in their career professionals, there were a lot of gaps that we had to kind of assess and figure out how are we going to build program to scale that can help as many people as possible, meet as many people as possible where they are so that they can find some kind of partnership within our organization to partner with. And so one of the first things that I did was build the business case around saying we need more career and professional development programming. And so we need to think about how we can scale a, we have a conference at Berkeley called the Next Opportunity at Work Conference, the NOW Conference. When I got to Berkeley, it was it was about 300 people could go every year. And so I had to start thinking with my team and with our leadership, how can we make this bigger? We have a wait list every year. What can we do to make sure this program reaches as many people as possible? We had a woman that did one-on-one career coaching and she was able, she was a 50% employee And she was able to reach, you know, a a certain number of individuals. And I worked with, again, the leadership and the team to say, how can we bring this one-on-one career coaching to more people in a way that is still budget-friendly and will reach as many people as possible where they are and help them? And then we had to do some very tactical things like build a branding strategy. And so I think, I don't even remember what our URL was, but it was something like top at some, and I don't even remember what top stood for, maybe talent, you know what, I don't know. But yeah. I had, I said to the team, I'm like, who are we? Who do we want to be? 
what do we want to do? And we, we did a lot of work just as a team and came together around the word grow. And so we started using grow as our, as our branding strategy. If you go to grow.berkeley.edu, you end up on our website. If you email grow at berkeley.edu, you're emailing us. We built eight different pillars of growth over the years. How are we going to help you grow your community? How are we going to help you grow your skills? And so we started thinking about the work in the learning and development shop, not just as workshops, but we also started thinking about how are we going to make sure we're helping people actualize their, their own power to own their career? How are we going to support people in being leaders in their own development? How are we going to create safe spaces for people to come together? And this is all around a model that I built called the you, me, we model of learning, whereas you learning means that it's the learning that someone looks to you, the organization to provide for them. Me learning is how do we build learning pathways and toolkits and curated resources so people can take ownership of their own learning. Yeah. And then we learning is how do we build those spaces for communities to come together and learn from each other. And I think in a lot of learning and development shops, we, we're really good at the you learning. We're really good at saying, here's this workshop, come and learn about this and learn about that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't think about how are we making sure people can own their own development and, mm-hmm. and build their own development? And how are we working within our communities and our employee resource groups in our communities of practice and our identity-based organizations, how are we supporting them to make those safe spaces for learning available as well? And so we we did a lot of work in the portfolio. We did a lot of work building out our you, me, we. We did a lot of work around branding. And I think now I really have a product that people know when you say grow at Berkeley, they know that they're talking about the people and organization development team, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. I love the the concept that you actually spent time on your branding, you know, what do we want to be known for sort of what is our brand at Berkeley? And that can be seen publicly as you're talking. I went to the grow.berkeley.edu website and it's all right there and shows up development and growth at Berkeley. And you can go and see like some of the things that you're offering and that you're doing. And it's so easy for people to, to see that and associate. I love that you are talking about enabling people to own their own development. Obviously, you know, I'm all about owning, helping people own their careers, which includes owning your development, right? Taking personal responsibility, figuring out what you want to do, where you want to go, and then leveraging the resources that are there. And then also working with the ERGs and creating, you know, safe space for people to learn and being more inclusive of different areas and different communities. So you're taking, you know, a wider approach and making sure everybody feels included and involved. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the very cool things about working for a public research institution is we can make all of these things publicly available. Hmm. If you check out our grow site and you go to our grow your resources page, for example, there's toolkits there around succession planning and coaching and change management and managing student workers. And, you know, we have a, a, a very built out for competency model. We have all of this, this work that we've done within the University of California and the University of California at Berkeley and we're putting it out there for organizations to use. If somebody listening to this podcast is having a struggle right now with succession planning or having a struggle around change management, I hope they'll go to our Grow Your Resources page and find those toolkits and then go through them. And if there's a nugget in there, if there's something in there that can help you, please, please use it. That's why we put it out there. It's not behind firewalls. 
And I feel really lucky being a public research institution that we can do that. And we can, I can kind of continue that exec ed, helping, helping all of us in this world to, to be better, stronger, faster, more nimble, more agile, whatever it is, and continue to do that work at Berkeley and for the rest of the world as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like open source. You know, you can share publicly the stuff that you're working on uh, without worrying about any type of competition or, you know, not that any of us should be really worried about that with development that we're doing, but it's pretty cool to, to see and that people can go check that out. As you were doing this work, and I want to come back to career development and what you're doing with Grow, but you also set out to revamp performance management, I believe, as well, right? Can you talk about where it was and what that process looked like and what you've done with it? Absolutely. It's one of one of our proudest accomplishments in addition to what we did with Grow. So when I got to Berkeley, we were doing, I think what a lot of organizations, you know, 10 or 15 years ago did, where you had one performance conversation a year with your manager and everybody filled out this kind of novel length thesis on why they should continue to have their job. And then your manager wrote something and then you, you eventually read it and then it made you cry. And then, you know, they had to send it to their manager and then they stamped it as done. And then it sat on a shelf for a year. And a year later, you got to do the whole process over again and think, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to cry again, or I'm going to get angry or I'm going to lose my time. You know? So it was Mm -hmm. a very, very kind of once a year, very step hierarchical kind of conversation. And we looked around at industry and we looked what folks were doing at our Haas business school. And we looked at what some of our partners were doing in the university of California, specifically university of California, Irvine. And we said, this is silly. We we want to grow a coaching culture on our campus. We vocalize that we want to grow coaching culture. And we're still measuring performance in this very punitive, once a year, written kind of driven way. And so we started to build a program that we call Achieve Together, which is a continual conversation model where three times a year, managers come together with their employee and they ask from a set of kind of six guardrail questions around five different achievement criteria and ask questions of the the employee. How are you innovating? How are you collaborating? These these achievement criteria that we've said are important for success within our organization. And then at the end, the manager asks, and how can I better support you? And the documentation piece is very minimal. You can take notes while you're having the conversation, but it's really about having the conversation, coming to agreement on what some of these mutually created goals are. And also we move the focus from just being goal achievement to five achievement criteria. So Mm. at Berkeley, we were really concerned about getting the A plus, about achieving goals. And I joke that, you know, it, it didn't matter how you got there. You could leave a wake of dead bodies behind you, but as long as you achieved your goals, you were doing good, you know, and we said, we don't want to be that anymore. We want to be a place where it not only matters what you do, but it matters how you get it done. Mm-hmm. And so we created this model where we're talking about innovation, which is really kind of continual change, collaboration, belonging and inclusion, and then also job mastery and goal and goal accomplishment. And wrap that with this kind of coaching culture and this limit on the documentation and uplift of the conversation and we've been doing that now. So we launched, we had a pilot of about a thousand people, about a quarter or so of our non-represented staff. We don't do the same program for our represented staff because those performance evaluations are negotiated through our union partnerships. Sorry, you said represented the non-represented staff. What, what does that mean? So a represented staff is someone that's in a union. Okay. 
non-represented is someone that's not in a union. So about half of our staff on campus is in unions. So our okay. representative. Can you staff. give examples of what types are we talking like professors, janitors, like front like who's who's typically in a union? So our frontline workers are are in unions, our healthcare workers are in unions, our food service workers are in unions. Okay. Got yeah. it. And then you've got obviously a lot of uh, administrative staff that are not represented that right. fall in that other bucket. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we have to be we we have that's another thing that we have to think very very strategically about. How do we make sure that we're partnering with our unions in ways that those individuals can get learning and development but that still falls within the contract that we've negotiated kind of at the u- university high level. It can be challenging and it can be confusing for folks. It's tricky, right? You can't just say like, "Oh, go home and and use this app and and learn this thing because they're restricted on the number of hours they can be engaged with and compensation and all that sort of stuff. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what we did in in our performance program is we've told our staff that manage represented workers, you know, if your staff are in a union, you have to do this performance program that is agreed in the contract. And you might want to have some achieve conversations with them. You might want to just in a one-on-one ask them one, two, three, or four of these six questions and start to build that relationship. So it's not just about performance evaluation. And I think that's the key. We've built a program that's really about performance development with the right amount of evaluation in it versus having an a, a punitive evaluative conversation that happens once a year that no one really learns anything from and everybody leaves feeling bad about. Yeah, there seems to be definitely a movement away from that. I know there's a lot of organizations doing lots of different things, still many using that older model, but yeah, the way you described it doesn't sound pleasant or exciting at all. And I know most people don't really look forward to it, right? Whereas it's better to get that continuous conversation and feedback and guidance and coaching to help you continue to grow, grow, right? In your career. Right. Yeah, you can tell I have a bias against the old model. So right. I, I'm dramatic <laughs> totally in my fine. conversation around it. There might be some people listening who are like, I love that model, but I, based on my conversations, I think a lot of people are trying uh, to move away from that. So tell me what else you, you've put in place to provide people with development, because I know employees, you know, the number one thing people want is to grow. They want to know how they can grow in their career. So you created this branding and you've revamped, you know, performance conversations. What else is in place now to help people grow in their careers? Yeah. You know, I think one of the the very easy things that anybody can do was we built kind of a structure where we tackled perform or tackled development through a number of different pillars. So we said, okay, first we need a policy that says every employee on our campus has 80 hours or 10 days that they can use for professional development. So we put it in policy. And the reason why we use the hours and the days is again, for those represented and non-represented employees, because some people measure their time and days at work. Some people measure it in hours that they work. So we said everybody has 10 days or 80 hours to use for professional development. Then we said to managers, managers, we would love it if you would help us by adding into everybody's job description 5% of their time for continuing professional development. Hmm. So now it's policy and it's part of people's jobs. And then in our, our evaluation program, we request that everybody have a professional development goal. So now it's policy. It's part of your job and your success in that job is measured on whether you're doing it or not. And then we started talking about all of the free or almost free resources that are provided by my team, the people and organization development team, 
on the grow pages that people can use to fulfill that without impacting their organization's budget. Mm. Some of our units have more money, some have less. We can't dictate who has what professional development wise. So we've made it so that even if your department, your chair, your dean in the organization, you know, your director, your manager, your CEO, even if they don't have funding available, there's lots and lots of things that you can do in order to hit that 10 days, 80 hours goal around professional development. So I think by making it part of policy, making it part of people's jobs, making it how you're evaluated in your success of that job, and then making it available, it has completely changed the way that we think about professional development. We also wrote a professional development statement that we put in front of our job postings that says says something to the effect of UC Berkeley is a learning organization. And if you decide to come and join us and work for us, we expect you to be of a growth mindset and Mm. want to continue to grow and develop. And so we really kind of started modeling what we were talking about. And I think it's really, really powerful. And honestly, maybe making the fully built out robust portfolio of opportunities is a little expensive. I'm at a public research institution. We do not have a huge budget for this. But, you know, everything else that I talked about, you can do for almost free. Mm. And then you just need to think about how are you going to make sure you're helping people actualize those things that you're asking them to do as part of the policy, part of their job, part of their success measures. Yeah, I really like that. And you're right. It doesn't cost a lot of money to at least put a statement on there and set the expectations this is what the organization is going to be like and attract the type of person that is going to be really interested in that. I'm curious, you know, sort of what percentage of people follow through on this and do you need to take action with people one way or the other? I imagine there's got to be some people that are like, I'm too busy. You know, I just got to get my work down. I'm not interested in growing. And then are there people on the other side who are like, see this as permission to be spending half their time on professional development when and and then not get their jobs done. Yeah. You know, we we've not seen people abusing the system at mm. all. People are very busy. We have a ton of work to do and we do because we still have that goal accomplishment and job mastery piece of your performance evaluation. We do still care that you're you're doing your job and and you're getting your goals done and you're feeling accomplished in that space. And we help to empower managers to make sure that they have the tools where they can have conversations with their employees if they feel that some of that's slipping. I mean, I'm sure it's happening, but we're we're trying to be as good of a partner as we can and to build that trust relationship between all of our employees that say, you care about our success as UC Berkeley, you're a part of that success and your work helps to make us successful. And so I hope you feel accomplished in that. And I hope you make sure you're doing that. And because you're doing that for us, we want to invest back in you and make sure that you're engaged and happy and successful in what you're doing. So it's really a mutual kind of trust that's being built there versus more of a big brother kind of watching you to make sure that you're, you know, sitting in your, in your seat and doing your job from nine to five and (laughs) you know, all of those, those old right. school kind of things. In my experience of having lots of conversations and also looking at the reports that are out there from like McKinsey and others, you know, the number one thing that people want in their jobs and careers is, is growth to know how they're going to grow in their careers, right? The number one reason people are leaving jobs now is because they feel like there's no career growth opportunities. Yeah. So I'm curious, I don't know if there's been enough time. Do you see an impact in retention and other things because of these programs you put in place and this sort of standard that, you know, you do have time for professional development. Yeah. You know, I think 
we have lots of data that, that talks about what our during the Great Resignation, we were following kind of what our populations were doing. And we saw we so we're here in, you know, San Francisco in the in the East Bay, Silicon Valley area, you know, where some organizations were seeing as high as like 40% turnover. I think we saw about 17%. And so our numbers didn't change a whole lot during the Great Resignation. And you know, we look at our staff engagement surveys and our numbers just keep ticking up and up and up. We're seeing people still participate in our programming. You asked about our numbers. I think the last look we did of our grow portfolio, we had reached, I look every year at how many people come to our classes and how many engage in our space. And we're, we're hitting thousands and thousands of people every year. And so those stories to me tell me that what we're doing is making a difference. And on the, the bottom line side, our, our turnover is lower, people are staying longer, people are being promoted more. We looked when we did our performance evaluation change, we started looking at the equity in that. So in our old system, this is this is really interesting. My boss and I were just talking about this. In our old system, particularly for our staff of color, they were rated at about 10% lower on the rating scale than our white staff. Mm. That's a problem. So yeah. this new program we put into place, they're still a little bit lower. It's about 5% now, but it's it's slowly kind of becoming more equitable. And so we're looking at numbers like that too, to make sure that that our staff experience is also being impacted by the work that we're doing. And all of those numbers right now are on the upswing, even with COVID and everything that's happened and all of the social justice kind of tragedies yeah. that have happened around the world. We're yeah. seeing our campus have people that are engaged in working and continue to work. And so I think all of that talks about the power that can come from paying attention to people and making sure you're taking care of them and helping them grow. Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, one challenge with equity and development is when you have a lot of programs where people are sort of like selected or or chosen, then there's always going to be bias in that. And when you put a standard in place that says everybody gets you know, at least this 80 hours or 10, you know, 10 days a year, and you need to spend 5% of your time on development. Do you find that that creates more equity in the, on the development side of things as well? You know, it certainly gives people permission to level the playing field for themselves and grab a hold of it and make it so for themselves. And I think that's, what's important. We need to realize we need to own our careers and own our lives. Yeah. At no point is anybody going to do this for us. We can have champions. We can have people that will help us. But truly, we need to we need to own this. And so I think these policies we put into place and these practices we put into place have helped people feel more empowered to do something for themselves versus waiting to be done to. Mm. You know, I, I feel like one of the the biggest tragedies that that happens in people's career is that they sit and they they wait to be promoted or they wait to be noticed or they wait for someone to come and give them that next great opportunity. You know, that might happen. That that might happen occasionally. Yep. But I think what happens more often is we put ourselves in places and we work towards things and we work really hard and we make plans and we build our networks and we put ourselves in places where we're available when those things become ready. And so I think what the work that we're doing is really about helping people to level that floor so that everybody has that same opportunity to put themselves out there to be ready for when that that next calling comes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a big fan of that, owning your career, owning your life. It's what I'm all about. And you have created 
more around this idea of empowering people to go own their own development and their careers. Can you talk about what else you've done in the realm of career development to create potentially more talent and mobility and opportunities for people to to move and find different things that they can do or opportunities with their career at UC Berkeley? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we just launched that I'm super excited about is we launched a new pillar in Grow called Grow Your Journey. And our Grow Your Journey pillar is basically learning pathways. And so what we realized is now that we have this policy and it's part of people's jobs and we have all these resources, it can be unbelievably overwhelming to try to navigate that as somebody who maybe doesn't live and breathe learning and development as as people listening to this podcast and as you and I maybe do. And so we curated some learning journeys for people. And we said, if you're a research administrator, here's some things that you might want to do in the first three months in year one and year two and year three that are going to help you to progress. If you're an executive assistant, here's some things. If you're a new leader, if you're a seasoned leader, if you're in the information technology space, we've created these pathways, not as a requirement or as a, you have to do this. And if you do this, then you're going to succeed in these ways. But in more of that kind of helpful, hand-holding, suggesting kind of way to say, here's some things that you could do to fill out your development. We created a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging pathway because we feel that DEIB should be part of everybody's job. And so even if you're working in XYZ job family, you want to build diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging to your work, here's some great learning and development that you can do to, to help you in that space. And we think by kind of curating these paths and and putting them out there for people, it will help them build their muscles around how do they do career development for themselves. You know, we've created some tools where we help people do a nine box analysis of themselves. And so we ask them to think about the competencies that they have that they think they're very strong in and the competencies that they think they could use a little practice in. And then we ask them to think about how important that is for their role. And we help them build nine boxes so they can start building individual development plans. We have individual development planning templates. We have, as I mentioned, we have one-on-one career coaching. Any staff member can sign up for a half hour or 45 minute appointment with one of our staff career coaches to just talk about their career development. The people who are the most receptive to this are the people that, you know, go out and do it and the people that that have the most success with it. We can't force anybody to do anything. And to your earlier point, if people are, if they're good, they're like, you know what, I'm good. I, I have all of the skills that I need. I would probably have a conversation with them about how the world changes and how those skills might not still be relevant in two, three, four years. Make sure they're okay with that. But, you know, still there, there's a place for everybody, but, but we've, brought in some of these curated resources and these one-on-one coaching experiences and then given managers these new skills around coaching and tools to help have. We have a great new tool we call the UC Experience Conversation. And it's basically a stay interview tool. So instead of doing exit interviews when someone leaves a job, it's about having conversations that talk to people about what they like about their job and what will keep them at their job. And so you can go to our, you know, UC Experience Conversation page and get a toolkit as a manager to start doing that kind of career development and strategic workforce development for your own team and for the individuals on your team by using the tools that we have 
if you don't want to partner with one of our consultants, it's available to partner with you as well. So I think that meet people where they are is really critical. And in order to meet people where they are, you have to have a variety of tools. You have to have self-driven tools. You have to have thought partner opportunities. You have to have skill training. You can partner with vendor partners. We have amazing vendor partners in LinkedIn Learning and a company called BetterUp, where we do learning development and we do coaching, kind of a democratization of coaching. So bringing all of that to people, I think, has really, really made an impact in how we think about career development at Berkeley. I love that. So many options there and ways for people to grow in their careers. Like you said, you know, people have to take responsibility and go take advantage of it. So I guess the last question I would ask you, you talked earlier about branding. You created the brand, what you want to be known for. You've created all these programs. What do you do in the realm of marketing to get the word out so that more people know about these opportunities and these tools and resources they could take advantage of? Yeah, you know, we we do marketing just like an external consultant does marketing. So we've started, we, br- we built flyers. We literally built one-page flyers that we can hand out. We built a course catalog that talks about the kind of products we have. We've created a newsletter that we call our Wisdom Cafe Wednesday that every Wednesday staff can sign up for. And it hits their inbox at nine o'clock in the morning every Wednesday and shares with them an upcoming learning opportunity and a LinkedIn learning that supports that opportunity. So a staff member could say, I'm going to take this LinkedIn learning. And then if I like it, I'm going to go to this, this workshop or I'm, you know, and so we've kind of done a little bit of push and a little bit of pull. So we're, we're pushing information out there. Anytime a new leader joins campus, I try to have a conversation with them about my team and how we're there to help them. I talk at our, I was just speaking at our new employee reception and orientation this morning before you and I talked, and I do a 15 minute, here's what's out there and here's how we're here to help. And here's those resources. So you can dig deeper Mm. and start figuring out what works for you. I think it's all about communicating what is the, what is the old marketing term you have to say it seven times seven different yeah, ways like so that. think yeah. about how you're communicating are you sending emails do you create flyers are you speaking at manager forums are you making sure that your leadership is talking about you as well we have a wonderful onboarding toolkit where we say to managers please sit down with your new employees, do these steps. And one of those steps is make sure they know who people in organization development is and make sure they know we're here to help. You know, in my case, it's a chancellor and and a lot of people listening, it's probably a CEO. Make sure your CEO knows who you are and what you're doing. Send every year, I send a report to my assistant vice chancellor and say, here's the people that we made an impact on. Here's what we did. Here's the number of resources that, that we were able to create for people. Tell those stories and make sure you're telling them up and down because you want to make sure that everybody in your organization knows that you're there to help. Our job is truly to help people grow. And so that's why we use that grow word. Our mission within our organization is to help people grow. And we need to tell that story seven times, seven different ways, and make sure that people are hearing it. And then we also need to be reflective. You know, we need to take a look at what we're offering to make sure that it is truly still helping people grow. And we need to pivot. We need to to be flexible. We need to be nimble. We need to pivot. We need to create new things. 
Sometimes we create new things that don't work. We need to say, well, that was a great learning. Let's try something else. You know, I think yeah. all of that is really, really critical as you're building trust, which is truly, I think, what we're marketing. We're trying to market the fact that we are a trusted partner in growth. And so building that trust and then hitting people as many different times and ways as you can, telling that story is really critical. 100%. Speaking of giving people lots of different opportunities to hit them in different ways. You also, the last, last question, I guess you also have a conference coming up right in June that I think believe you, you partner with all the other UC schools on this one, right? Can you tell me more about that? We do. We do. So we have a conference called the next opportunity at work conference, the now conference. We love our acronyms and acronyms can be used really, really strategically. So now take control of your career. Now take control of that next opportunity at work. And it's a full day conference where we bring wonderful speakers from internally, from the UC and externally together with our staff. And we give them lunch and we bring people together and build that kind of safe space for learning. When I got to Berkeley, the conference was about, it it was able to hold about 300 people and it sold out within minutes every year. And when I say sold out, we don't actually sell tickets. People have to register. They reserve their seats though. Yeah. Yeah, They reserve their seats. And I said, this is a problem. If, and people are like, yay, we sold out again. I'm like, no, we sold out in 96 seconds. Like clearly there is unmet. (laughs) There's a lot more demand. Yeah. We need to do something about this. And so by finding partners with the whole UC, by finding other partners at Berkeley, by building sponsorship opportunities, we've now increased the size of that conference to 1500 people. Hmm. And and it was really just about thinking, how can we make this more accessible to people? One of the things we used to do is for some reason, there was a notion that it had to happen on the Berkeley campus, had to happen on the Berkeley campus. And I said, well, why? Love it. Don't you love asking why? why? Like why? And the reasons were interesting, I suppose, but not terribly compelling. And I was like, well, what if we moved off campus to a bigger venue. And then we could invite 600 people instead of 300 people. And people are like, that'll never work. No one's ever going to come. No one will leave campus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I got the buy-in of my leadership and we moved it off campus. And so we, it was one small step, you know, this is that kind of think, think, do cycle and innovation. You, you think of an idea, then you do it in a small way and do a small experiment, see if it works. So we moved from 300 to 600. And that time we sold out in about a day and a half. I'm like, okay, clearly people will leave campus to come to this conference. Mm-hmm. Now, what can we do to, to make it even bigger and more engaging? And then we started inviting our friends from around the system. People said people from the youth, people from UC Davis are never going to come to a conference run by UC Berkeley. I'm like, why, why, why wouldn't they? Why Super not? Yeah. yeah. So I think by... That think do cycle by being yeah. innovative, asking by questions, what else is possible, yeah. and trying new things, you're able to continue to grow it and create new opportunities for people. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, and and we've been we've been running virtually the last few years because of COVID. So that was another thing when COVID hit in March. This conference runs in June, so we had been planning for the conference. And March hit, campus closed down March 2020, and people said, "Well, clearly we're going to have to cancel the conference." And I was like, "Why?" Mm. We have Zoom. We're all getting pretty good at Zoom. What if we just did it virtually? And they said, but we've never done a virtual conference before. I'm like, well, we haven't. Right. But my friend Andy has, or my friends at ATD sure. have, or my network here or there has. We can figure this out. Yep. You know, and so it's just, you know, I guess being able to see 
maybe it's a little bit of courage being able to take that risk. I think it's a lot about safety too. I know that if I do something that doesn't quite work out, I'm not going to lose my job. My boss is going to say, oh, well, that was interesting. You know, how are we going to change it for next time? So, yeah. Absolutely. Love it. Well, Angela, this has been really great. I mean, you've done so many interesting things there, made so many big changes. And, and many of these, you know, even though you're at a university, all of these are are potentially applicable to people working in companies, you know, for-profit companies, or whatever type of organization you're in. You can think about branding, you can think about how you're growing your employees, think about creating more inclusive cultures, think about revamping performance management, all of this stuff. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing. And if anybody wants to find out more, I know they can go to grow.berkeley.edu. And I assume people could also reach out to you maybe on LinkedIn, or if there's anything better, let me know. Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you so much, Andy, for having me. This has been super fun. I always enjoy getting together with brilliant folks like yourself who bring us together as a community and make this safe space for us to continue to learn and grow. So thank you so much for all the work that you do in helping our community own our own careers, which is also so critical. Heck yeah. Well, thank you again, Angela. Take care. All right, that will do it for my interview with Dr. Angela Stopper. I hope you enjoyed that conversation about all the work that Angela has been doing there at UC Berkeley. Such a really interesting transformation they've gone through and all the work on uh, changing performance reviews and everything else that they've done there. And of course, if you want to see more of what they're doing and the career development platform they put together, you can go right to their website, grow.berkeley.edu to check it out. And I did, and it was pretty impressive what they put there. And you can also see their branding and everything they have available, which is uh, really nice to see. You don't always get to see that uh, and what other companies are doing. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I am working on booking Angela to be a guest speaker in our talent development think tank community. That will be later this year in 2023. If you're not a member, come check us out. All the information is on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. We are all about helping you improve your capabilities and find more success in your career in the world of talent development. That's what we're all about. And we're doing that on a regular basis by bringing guest speakers in having great conversations, not to mention providing you with a treasure trove of content from our past calls. When you join, you get full access to all of that. And all the information, again, is on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And when you sign up, you can use the code THINKTANK for 10% off. Thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you next time, uh, which will actually be in just a couple of days. I'll be releasing my bonus Q&A round with Angela Stopper. So stay tuned. <laughs>